Will you pray with me? Good and gracious Lord and Master, the one who serves us, open these words to our minds and hearts. Shape us into your likeness. In Christ's name, amen. Have a seat. Well, today we continue the journey to Jerusalem that we've done walking through Luke's gospel. And as we've reminded you week by week, this whole section of Luke from mid of chap middle of chapter 9 on is like a discipleship manual. It's teaching, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and that includes us, how to, be, how to follow him, how to be ready for his death resurrection and ascension. It's his training program. And this passage today is no exception. Now you remember last week, if you were here, that Jamie talked about the parable, a parable that reminded us the cost of self-centeredness, foolishness that comes from only keeping our own counsel, and of kind of foolishness that's marked by avarice and greed. And today's passage picks up there. Did you notice? Fear not, little flock. Can you hear the words of tenderness? Fear not, little flock. You don't need to be afraid. Of, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to the needy. You do not need to hold on tight. Fear not, little flock. There's this picture here, just in these little words, in these few words, of deep security in the Father's provision, uh, that you don't have to hold tightly. You can have childlike trust. And our lectionary skips over what I think is the best part uh, that's also seen in Matthew's Gospel. Consider the lilies, really, and how beautiful they are. My um, grandchildren have a storybook Bible. Maybe you've seen it. And this passage is hilarious because they show the lilies going to a clothing store and taking clothes off the rack, how ridiculous it is. And then in Matthew's gospel, um, the birds of the air, Luke uses ravens, so they're even less valuable than that. And this picture of the ravens going to the grocery store with a shopping cart, they don't have to go to the grocery store, even if there was one. Um, you're way more valuable than that. The passage says, so fear not, fear not, little flock, Jesus goes on. And then, as is so often Jesus' way, he paints a parable, uh, another picture of what God's kingdom life is like. And this parable is meant to stretch our imagination, to give us a way of thinking, a way of grasping why we should fear not, because I don't know if you're like me, that that fear not does not help, right? When somebody says to me, I'm scared, I'm scared, boop, boop, uh, and somebody says, fear not, doesn't really work, right? I'm ready to sometimes, right? Well, it tells you more about me. <laughs> you know, uh, but Jesus doesn't stop there, right? He, he gets that about us, that just saying fear not doesn't make us fear not, and so he paints this parable Fear not, we discover in this parable, is more than sentimental jargon or what I call a scripture pill. Uh, it turns out to be a realistic approach 
to life with God. And once again, as we've seen over these past few weeks, over and over, it's a shocking picture. Uh, we can miss the shock value, skimming over it, being used to it, as we do. And I want to um, just read a cu- these couple of verses. You've just heard them, but let me read them to refresh your memory. Um, starting in verse 35 of chapter 12. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like those who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline a table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second or third watch and finds them awake, blessed are these servants. So let me unpack that a little bit. I mean, it's self-explanatory at one level, but stay dressed for action literally means gird your, it's a better, the literal translation is gird up your loins. It, it refers to the long robes that you wear in the, you couldn't do this at the eight o'clock because the pulpit was too high. At, you know, the long flowy robes in the hot climate, put on a belt basically, and gird up your loins, right? So your robe, so you don't trip over your robe while you're serving. And so he's saying, get your belts on, be ready, gird up your loins, so to speak. Anyway, okay, get settled. (laughs) Uh, It's, yeah, um, my late friend Ken Bailey says, he thinks that's why clergy wear cinctures. I don't know. That might be stretching it, but we are supposed to be certainly girded up. Um, Keep your lamps burning. How many of you ever tried to light a lamp when it's dark, the power's all out, and you don't know where the candles are, and you don't know where the matches are, and even if you do, it's so dark you can't light them. So in those days, you kept your lamp burning, maybe down low, but it's burning. So when you need it, you can turn it up and Add more oil, um, but you can't do that in the total darkness. So again, this picture of waiting, of, uh, of readiness, waiting for your master. Now that word waiting might better be translated expecting or anticipating. Notice how that just changes the whole tone from waiting. Yeah, I do that a lot. Um, expecting, anticipating, eager. There's a kind of on your, on your toes kind of feeling so that when he knocks, you're ready to open it. You're ready to open that door. Then, then he will what? He will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. He will come and serve them, really? Now let's backtrack. Remember, this is beyond shocking. Even to our ears, it's a little shocking, but to Jesus' audience, it would be beyond shocking. He's talking about slaves, slaves, not just sort of people helping him out. These are the lowest of the lowest of the lowest on the social ladder. And he's been at a wedding feast, right, an evening wedding feast, and he returns home. He, He knocks, so not everyone can tell that he's left in the middle of the party. So he knocks instead of calling out, which you would normally call out if you're not a stranger. He knocks 
and his voice doesn't echo. And then he girds himself. He serves them. And there's no food that's been prepared, right? You don't hear that the slaves are bustling about the kitchen getting things ready. No, no. So where does the food come from? The food comes from the wedding banquet. The master himself has brought a tray of delights from the banquet with which he will feed his slaves. They will recline at table, right? That's a formal dinner, not just hanging out, right? Where they put their lean on their left hand and dip with their right these delicacies that the master has brought and is serving them. Can you picture that? Can you picture it? It's shocking, beyond belief. The master has hand-picked food from the banquet table, and he himself has brought it. He didn't send another servant, hey, go get some food for my, you know, for, for those guys who are waiting for me. He came himself. And he expected them to be waiting, eager, eager. And he was eager. He was eager to serve them, to treat them, so that they might recline and luxuriate in a delicious meal. Now, isn't that worth staying awake for? Isn't it? Not just the delicious food, but but the honor, the intimacy, the scary intimacy of life with this beloved master. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you function as a slave if this was your master? If he regularly did stuff like this? It would kind of change your perception of what it meant to be a slave, yes? Uh, they were blessed, we're told. Now, this is why they were blessed. Because they had this eager expectation of good coming from their master. They knew it. They relaxed in it. They were blessed not because they were doing their duty, drudgery. They were blessed because they had this amazing master-slave relationship. Now, doesn't that change Jesus' words? Fear not, little flock. When you've heard this story, fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Did you hear? It's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So we wait in eager expectation for what's coming next. We serve, knowing that he'll serve us. So there's a kind of delight, even if it's hard. I, I think of my eager six-year-old granddaughter. She was not much of a helper in the earlier days of her life, but now she's become an expert Windexer of glass top tables. And when she comes, she comes and asks me, can I do it, Mimi? 
Can I, can I clean your table? She's eager. It's, is she a slave? No, yes, no, you know, you know, right? You get it. It's different, right? She has delight. And that's what Jesus is calling us into. Ten days ago, I went to the funeral of my friend Dana. Dana had suffered for um, 12 years with multiple myeloma. Um, you could never tell. I mean, she exuded joy and energy. I mean, she's a little puffy considering how little she was. And I think that, you know, the meds. But other than that, you would never guess. You would never guess that she'd been suffering so long and so disastrously. You would never guess that two or three times a week she went to Johns Hopkins from Winchester to lie there and be infused. Um, uh, our, our mutual pastor, Patrick, wrote to me that uh, he was there right when she was diagnosed, and they thought maybe a year, two at the most. Uh, it was devastating, and here, 12 years later. Um, and I can't tell you how many times the meds stopped working, and her husband would, you could hear that that, that had happened because, you know, at the prayers of the people, he'd pray, and you could tell he was close to tears. Um, he also is a person of joy. So um, she was going to die over and over again. And then just as she was on death's door, a new medication, it's like the way cancer, is, cancer treatment is these days, a new medication. Um, and so then and she, she was able to attend the weddings of her kids and welcome grandchildren. Uh, Twelve long years of suffering and hope. Hope dashed and hope refreshed over and over again for 12 long years of suffering and borrowed time. And I wondered, how did she do it? Because every picture of her, every time I, I, I we, we got boosters, to, you know, we got boosters together, COVID boosters together in the Shenandoah University gym. And so we sat, you know how you sit, you know, you sit to wait, you sit while you get it, and then you sit to wait until it's okay to go. And, you know, this joy, this exuberant, peaceful joy. And how did she do this through so much suffering and disappointment? So here's what her son said at the funeral. When Dad asked Mom a few weeks ago how she managed to bear up under the weight of so much poking and prodding over the course of her long treatment, she responded with, I've decided that I'm God's favorite. Whether she was pushing through her limp to enjoy the Eiffel Tower, ministering to her nurses while they adjusted her room at Johns Hopkins, or traveling overseas against the wishes of her doctors, she was able to continue because mom was so certain that she occupied the highest tier, God's love and adoration. I've been captivated by that phrase ever since. I've decided that I'm God's favorite. This is exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable. You, my dear friends, are God's favorite. He is eager to serve you. We are slaves of the Most High, of course. But what slavery looks like is shockingly different from what the words seem to indicate. We are God's favorite. 
We are God's favorite. You are. I am. We wait, ready for action, not because we're lowly slaves, but because we're beloved, and the master is bringing a delightful banquet, then he's going to serve us himself. What would it look like if we put on that set of lenses day by day, week by week? What would it look like? What if we read the challenging passages of the Bible that ask us to do the seemingly undoable with that set of lenses? Drudgery or delight? Last Sunday, I had a wonderful conversation after church with a woman who's um, in a healthcare uh, provider. And um, we were talking about our jobs and the things that were in common. You know, I wanted to be a doctor till I hit cell bio. Um, anyway, organic and physics all at once. Anyway, um, she was telling me how sometimes it's just so hard what she does. You know, uh, she has long, long days, six days a week. It's so much, it's so hard what she deals with day by day. And uh, it's heartbreaking and demanding, right? It demands everything, uh, physically, uh, spiritually, and emotionally as she deals with people facing so much. And I, I'm, what I do has something in common with that. Um, at the same time, we reflected together with little grins, we get to do this. We get to do this. We were made for this. We are so lucky. We're blessed. And I thought of that. We are God's favorite. And that knowledge transforms any drudgery. Well, at least most of the time transforms it, right? We are slaves served delicacies by the master, by the master of the universe. Aren't we lucky? There's a last little thought of this passage that seems to change, totally change the uh, subject. Know this, if the master of the house had known the thief was coming, he wouldn't have left the house to be broken into. So you be ready on high alert, anticipating so it's changing the subject at one level, but the point is still the same. Like, be expectant. Anticipate the Lord's coming. May we all, dear favorites, dear favorites of the Holy One, may we all be on high alert, eagerly anticipating our Master who is coming who is coming to serve us. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, Master, Lord of the universe, we can't begin to comprehend that we, your slaves, are also your favorites. Shape us to know this day by day, that we might know your life-giving love more fully.
and share it with others. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>